Well, for those of you visiting, my name is Ron Cool. although I suppose for you not visiting, my name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here as well, and it's a joy to, uh, to welcome all of you here to have you here this morning. And uh, we're going to continue this morning a, a series that we've been doing. We started at the beginning of the summer, the book of Ephesians, calling it Finding Our Place, and we're up to a new spot, and I want to kind of just give you an overview of, of where we are and, and how this fits in, all right? The first half of Paul's letters, chapter 1 through 3, Paul says, you've got to know who you are, and he talks about what God has done. That we are saved by God's amazing grace, not by anything we have done, but we were dead in our sins, and God has made us alive through Jesus Christ. And when we repent and, and, and turn to him, we find new life, and he brings us to a family. And so that's the whole first half. And then it starts in chapter 4 to say, now become who you are. That's who you are. You're, you're new creatures in Christ. Now live it out. Live in that grace. Live, live in that out. And, 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 and again, as Daniel said with these kids with baptism, to say, you know, this is who you are. You'll be training these little ones to say, this is who you are in Christ. Now live it out. And, 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 and so become who you are. And, and we said that, first of all, that means unity, that we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And then we said the last few weeks, we've been talking about purity, that we fight against sexual sins and greed and lying and stealing and anger and all of those things. We put off the old nature and we put on the new nature. And we said we're called to be pure. We're called to be holy. And now Paul is going to talk to us about in relationships. What does it mean to belong to Jesus Christ? How does that impact our relationships? Not just how we behave individually, but how do we behave in community? How do we behave in relationships? And, and he's going to, first of all, give us just one little principle that we'll touch on today a little bit. And, and it's a kind of a rule for all of us, though it's the major rule. It's one short one, but it's major. He's going to talk to husbands and wives, and we're going to do that today so these kids have good Christian homes to grow up in. And then next week, parents and children, we're going to talk about that next week. And then the following week, uh, we'll talk about slaves and masters, employees, bosses and employees, all right? Now, as we go through this, there's something really important for us to notice about what Paul is doing here, okay? When we look at what Paul is doing when it comes to talking about these relationships, um, what I want us to notice is that uh, there are other kinds of things, and you wouldn't necessarily know this, but these kinds of household instructions were fairly common in Paul's day. Okay, the, the, the Roman Empire and other local governments. You, you may have seen billboards around today saying, you know, courage, pass it on, integrity, pass it on. I mean, people say this is what our society needs, right? This is what our culture needs. Well, Roman Empire said that too. We need husbands who do this and wives who do this and we need parents who do this and children who do this. And, and so that's not anything new. I mean, for thousands and thousands of years, the culture has been saying, here's how we live in these relationships, all right? Here's what's really important. So these things were around there. And, and I I think it's interesting that Paul keeps the basic structure, okay? Paul keeps the basic structure. He doesn't say, well, because we're Christians, then we don't have husbands and wives. Because we're Christians, we don't worry about parents and children. We're all just the same or whatever. Because we're, we're Christians, we don't have employee relationships. No, Paul, Paul keeps them all the same, but what he does, and, and this is absolutely essential. This is the heart of Christian relationships, I think. What Paul does is within that, he turns the structure upside down. Within that, he says, okay, you know what, the structure can stay the same, but the way we behave in that structure is absolutely upside down. And I want to suggest that one of the biggest challenges for us now, 2,000 years later, is we still don't get this. As Christians, we still don't get this. We still don't live this out in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces. What does he do that? How does he turn everything upside down? Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
We start there, and, and what I want us to circle and recognize is submit to one another. That's where this got real radical. Okay, there were other situations where wives were called to submit, others called children to submit, called slaves to submit, and so on. But where Paul gets real radical, where the gospel turns everything upside down, Paul says, all of you submit. Each and every one of you are called to submit to each other. And he's talking to husbands, and he's talking to wives, and he's talking to parents, and he's talking to children. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Put other people first. Submit means to put yourself under, to submit. And and what he's saying is that in every Christian relationship we have, in every relationship like this, what we are called to do is we are called to put ourselves under somebody else. And we are called to lift them up. And we are called to focus on their needs. We are called to put them first. And that's radical. Because we are by nature sinful. We are by nature selfish. We are by nature people who put ourselves first. Now, it's not that there's no authority. Parents still have authority over their children, right? But, but we live for the other. And so the radical change in relationships is, is, is this. We, we go from worrying about power to worrying about serving. Think of some of the words of Jesus there, right? From what I can get out of this to what I give. From being self-centered to being other-centered. And, and I'm going to explain this one more as we talk about marriage. But, but from a contract to a covenant. And, and we submit to each other. And, and we give ourselves to each other. And so let's talk about that in terms of, of marriage. That's where Paul goes first in verses 22 to 33. Paul says, you know, and I'm going to tell you how to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in your marriage. Now, I want to do a little, I'm going to make some broad statements here, and, and, and it, it's, there are always going to be exceptions and so on, but I kind of want to give you an idea of how I see this kind of playing out and so on, all right? So work with me on this, and, and you can challenge me afterwards about my history or whatever, but I, I, I can tell you this, that in Paul's day, when we talked about marriage, it was primarily contractual. And what I mean by that, and think about your own marriage, or, or you know, if you're not married, think of a good friend or whatever, but, but it was primarily contractual. And what I mean by that, it was primarily saying, you do this, I do this, we have these responsibilities, these rights, and as long as we both fulfill our side of the contract, the relationship is fine. And the goal is to be fair, right? The goal is to make sure everything is right. I have a contractual relationship with Fred Meyer. Okay, with Myers, Right? I go, I, I agree to pay X for groceries. I, I, I agree. Fred Meyer doesn't care about me personally. I can't go to Fred and say, hey, Fred, I'm a little short this week. Can you just loan me some money? Right? We, don't, that's, we only have a contractual relationship, and that's fine. Most of our relationships, really, if you think about it, a lot of our relationships, maybe most, are contractual in nature. And that's fine with my grocer, okay? That's fine with my car dealer. That's not contractual, but that's a whole other matter. I mean, it's, but you know, right, it's, it's fine in all these other places, right? But it's not fine in marriage. It's, it's not what the Bible ever defined as a marriage relationship. And, and, but it was contractual in Paul's day. It was all about rights and responsibilities. And I want to suggest that for too many of us, it still is. Okay, that for too many of us, that, that, that the radical revolution that Paul called for in the church of how we would change marriage, we haven't done it as well. We've taken over from the culture too much. And we've allowed our marriages to be contractual. And to make it worse, for let's say the last several thousand years, it's not actually been a fair contract. <laughs> right? I mean, if we look at it, in, in, in the, and again, Paul's day for sure, in the secular culture outside of the church, for men, they had rights. 150 font bold rights and itty-bitty little responsibilities, 
It was good to be a guy, right? Because you had all the rights. A guy could demand whatever he wanted and very little responsibility. I mean, he had to kind of make sure his wife had food and drink, but that beyond that shelter, a little bit. Of, but the guy could do whatever he wanted. There was big-time rights and very little responsibility. On the other things, it, for, for women, it, it, was, it was little bitty, little bitty rights and great big responsibility, right? And, and, and this is the contract, and... and there's responsibilities, yeah. And, 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 and so we need to recognize this is not good. And, and here, listen to me carefully on this. This is where when we think about equal rights movements of the 60s and 70s, they were right in their diagnosis of saying that's not fair. Okay, I, I, we'll talk about where they maybe went wrong in a second, but, but we have to recognize, friends, what they were reacting against was a situation that is not what God intended at all. Now, we've abused Scripture to try to make it look like this was what God intended, but this is not. I will just, I, I can't read Scripture and have it come up with this, all right? So then we have kind of that equality stuff. And, 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 and again, there was something right about the challenges that were going on. And so what happens in that is that men, the rights, we don't give up any because that's not what you do in a contract, right? Maybe a little bigger responsibilities. But what happened is women said, no, we have equal rights, and guess what? They said, same amount of responsibilities. This doesn't work. This doesn't work in a relationship, right? You can't have everybody having all the rights. And, and what happens is that we get all the rights too. And so everybody gets all their rights. Nobody has any responsibilities. And families fall apart partially because nobody's giving. I love what Tony Campolo had to say about this. Tony Campolo said, the solution to two million arrogant, brash, domineering males is not... Two million brash, arrogant, domineering females. That's where things kind of went crazy, right? It, the, the solution to saying, you know, it's not fair for men to be domineering, male, arrogant, brash. Well, the solution isn't to say, well, let's just have everybody be that way. That doesn't work. So let's recognize this is not good, okay? Now, I think what kind of, and again, I'm broad here, I know that, but I think in some ways what kind of happens next, and maybe where a lot of us are today, again, I think we're still looking at it contractually, both inside and outside of the church, which I have a problem with, but in some ways I think where we are right now is, is to say, look, it's all fair. It's all even, right? You have the same rights, the same responsibilities. Nobody's in bold, nobody's better than, and, and I have to say, this is at least more fair, Okay, this is at least more fair, but I want to suggest this is not a Christian marriage. And too many of us, I think, kind of, some of us get caught up in this. We feel good about ourselves because we're no longer being the, for men, if we're not being, you know, we're not demanding these rights and, and being domineering and brash and arrogant and all that stuff. And so we say, yeah, this is much better. And, and I suppose at one level it is. But let me tell you what I think Paul's view of marriage is and the Bible's view of marriage is. That's not good. All right. If you want to see what I think real Christian marriage is, it's this. Itty-bitty rights, big responsibility for everybody. It's not about what I get. It's about what I give. It's not about what you do for me. It's about what I do for you. This is what God calls us to. Mutual submission, serving one another, putting the other person first, and not saying, well, are you being fair here? Are you doing enough of your stuff? Am, am I doing too much in this relationship? What it's doing is saying, how do I die for my spouse? How do I give myself to my spouse? This is what Paul is talking about. Look at, he doesn't say, husbands, hold on to your rights. We're going to look at what he says specifically, but it's always die, give, serve, lift the other person up. This is good, and this is what brings joy. 
I, I wanted to say that because we can look at that and say, who wants that kind of a marriage if it's all responsibilities, no rights? I tell you, God showed us through Jesus Christ that that's what life is all about. That we were created to serve, and when we start to serve, we find real life. When we, when we start to focus more on giving than on getting, we start to experience real joy. That's what Jesus was all about. And if I say I'm a Christian, then I need to follow him on his road. Remember Philippians 2. I couldn't help but think of it this week. In your relationship with one another, Paul says this in Philippians 2, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, all the rights in the universe did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be held on to, right? He had all the rights in the world. And what did he do? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see why I say... the, the structure, in some ways, it can stay. But, but within it, my goal as a husband now becomes to serve my wife and, and to help her flourish and to help her become all God created her to become. That's what it means for me to be like Christ in my marriage. To give up my rights and to serve her and discover the joy that comes from serving here. And so that's why I say in a Christian marriage, it's itty-bitty rights. And big-time, big-time responsibilities, big-time service, big-time giving, big-time trying to out-serve the other. Paul goes on, and I want to take just a couple of moments here to to look at some of the specifics that Paul gives uh, to husbands and wives and and recognize that, guys, if there's anything in the specifics, it gets worse for us, okay? All right, can we just acknowledge that? This passage has been used to tell women to be quiet, get pregnant, and be in the kitchen. Friends, that's so far away from what God calls us to. Um, I mean, not saying it's bad to be pregnant. We obviously love kids around here. But for men, basic responsibilities. When Paul talks, he talks to women first, but I want to talk to men first because we're slower and and we need more help. So when he comes to the men in verse 25, it's just basically, there's one word he has for men, love. Love your wives. Now, again, nobody would have said this in Paul's day. Might have said, husbands, be considerate of your wives. And the understanding would be in the same way you'd be considerate of a horse because you want the horse to do a lot of work for you. So you take care of the horse, take care of your wife. Ouch, no. Paul says, love. Love. And the word that he uses here is that big word, agape, which means put her first. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, put her first. Put her before yourself, your needs, your fun, your work, your reputation. That's what God calls you to. As a godly husband, that is what God calls you to. To put her before everything. To submit to her, to love her, to agape her, to put her in front of everything. And if you look at that, you listen, you say, Ron, if I did that, I'd die. I'd say, exactly, that's the point. Paul knows that. That's why he goes on to say, husband, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know what it means? You get to be a Christian husband, you get to die first. If headship means anything, it means you get to die first. It means you get to serve first. It means you get to give up of all your rights first. And you are called to die for your spouse. You are called to give everything up for your spouse. All right. 
It, it is to recognize. I mean, he gave himself up for her to make her holy, all right? This is what Jesus did with the church. Now, we don't save our wives the way Jesus did, but we are called to die for our spouses. And, and I love this. Paul says when, when Jesus dies for the church, it's not because the church is beautiful, right? We said we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our sins. Jesus dies to make the church beautiful, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Think about what this means. Guys, you don't love your wife because she's beautiful. You love her to make her beautiful. Think about that, right? Jesus doesn't love the church because the church is beautiful. Jesus loves the church so that the church can become beautiful. And so you love your wife. You die for your wife so that she can flourish so that she can grow, so that she can become all God created to be. Now, telling her to lose 20 pounds, is you will die, but that's not dying to make her beautiful, okay? I'm just telling you, that's, don't go here with that. But it's dying to ourselves. It's put, and, and, and in that somehow, by, by denying ourselves, by dying to ourselves, we, and, 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 and then our spouses become beautiful. And, and, and so the first, it's, it's love. And, and the first thing that means is, is die for her. Paul goes on. In the same way, husbands ought to love. Again, agape, verse 28. Love their wives. Now, this time he says, as their own bodies. Guys, you're one flesh with your spouse. So when you love her, you love your own bodies, right? He who loves his wife loves himself, okay? You are one flesh. You are together. After all, no one has ever uh, hated their own body, but they feed and care for their bodies, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. Two will become one flesh, right? Well, Paul said, guys, look, just as you take care of your body, because it's who you are, you take care of your spouse, and you nurture her, and you care for her, and you develop her. Again, you die for her. You give yourself up for her, all right? You nurture her. You care for her. Let's talk to the women a little bit. All right, we'll slide that over there. And this, yeah, let's just read the text. Wives, submit. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives, excuse me, let me move that over. So that, uh, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. There it is. The biblical word is clear. Submit. And uh, let's, let's think about this for just a couple of minutes here, all right? A couple of things, preliminary comments and I wish I didn't have to say the first one. I pray someday won't, but it, it does not mean allow yourself to be abused by your husband, okay? Christians have used this verse to say, well, you have to just put up with your husband's physical abuse or emotional abuse because you have to just submit to that. That's not what we're talking about here. It is not talking about, that's why I left a little bit of rights underneath there, okay? Because we are not talking about saying you're allowed to be abused physically or emotionally or whatever. That is not it. You get out and you get help and, and then you get that person help, okay? So it's not allow yourself to be abused. And, and this next one I think is really important. It's not set aside your gifts and abilities. I, I think for too long this is what it's been, is to say, well, if you're submitting, then what you got to do is make sure you never kind of bring your gifts to the table. The fact is a lot of us as guys are married to women who are smarter than us. 
God's intention was that wives and husbands would each have different gifts, and everybody would bring all of their gifts to the table. But what happens is a, a lot of times women brought gifts to the table, and men said, oh, no, I'm threatened by those gifts, and so I can't handle that. You have to submit, and so let's pretend you're not as smart as me. Let's pretend you don't have anything to offer to this. I'm going to treat you like a child because I don't know how to treat like an adult because I'm not sure who I am, and I'm not confident enough who I am in Christ. And I think we got to recognize God created us with different gifts. If we go back to Genesis 2, and this is so important. You know, I, I read it again this week. People in, in blogs saying, you know, that, that it says in Genesis 2 that the woman was created to be the helper. In the, the sense, say, it means assistant. That means secretary, right? That's what a helper is. No, the only other time that word is used in that form in the Old Testament, it is of God helping Israel. It's in Psalm 1, it's, that's Hosea 13. In Psalm 121, same word. But where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the creator of help. It's God, it's, th- this word is most often used in the Bible of somebody who has more power come down to help somebody who's weaker. God did not look at Adam and say, he's going to be busy, he needs somebody to assist him. You want to know what he did? He looked at Adam and he said, he ain't going to make it on his own. I maybe aimed a little low on the IQ on this one. I've got to make him a helper, fit for him. That's, that's more the picture. As they saw, and, and, and the idea is that God intends for there to be this dynamic relationship of two coming together, each of them bringing their gifts. And so this does not mean set aside your gifts and abilities. And again, it's in the context of mutual submission. So what does it mean? Let me just throw three, a couple things out here real quick. First, to submit, like I say, it's to put his needs first. To help him become all God created to be, to, to serve him. Again, he's dying for her, and she's serving him. Not because she's less, but because she is it, it, just submitting and saying, and again, think about it, Jesus submitted to the Father, okay? So, said, your will be done. I want, you, I want this thing to go your way. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be growing. And, I want, and so what we have in a Christian marriage is two people trying to outdie each other. Out-serve out each other. Out-get get below each other, to lift the other one up, all right? That's why I say it's so far from power and control. That it, 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 it's just so completely different. So, so to serve him, and, and then to respect him. Paul actually uses this word at the end of the passage in verse 33. He says, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I'm always a little wary of gender kind of roles or expectations, but there is some truth to some of these things. And I just want to say to the wives here, you may not understand it, but we as guys are, are really sensitive to being disrespected. I, I, I just think that's the case. And, and I don't think that you understand sometimes how kind of you send signals of disrespect. And, and, and I, I don't know if it's because we feel like we should be doing all this stuff and we know we're not doing it as well as we should. And then when you give an attitude of saying, you're just blowing it when there's no respect there, when there's kind of just, I don't, you can't think well, you can't do this well, you just go, go you know, be a, an ATM. When there's that kind of disrespect, it just, it, 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 just it, it really is hard for a guy. And so if you want to, if you want to make your husbands better, respect him, all right? Respect him and, and honor him with those things. I mean, just recognize and affirm the gifts that he's got, and, and respect him as much as you can. Boy, it's late, so we really don't have any time to talk about obey, do we? Um, should we just, do you, want, do you want my real quick take, or uh, <laughs> Gary's saying yes. 
Please, Ron, tell Pat. Or what about it, right? Used to be in the, used to, used to be in the, uh, in the vows all the time, right? First thought, real quick on this. In some ways, it just feels like a crazy question, right? If he's dying for her and she's putting him first, why are we talking about who's obeying who? Right? I mean, if, if we get this stuff right, if Tammy knows that I am willing to die for her, if she knows that I would do nothing, I would, I would put nothing in the way of her becoming all God created her to become, how would she not just want to say, whatever, man? I, I mean, I just trust you. I don't, it's not obeying because I hate, it's, it's just that, you know, and if I know, I mean, it, and, and, and so in some ways, the, the, the danger thing here is I think we've used this term, again, in terms of power and control, and, and, and we're called to be like Christ and servant. The other thing to notice is, is that the word obey doesn't appear in, in this text. It does for children, but it doesn't for spouses. And, and let me show you something I think really interesting, okay, that I found this week uh, about where I think it comes from. And, yeah, but you know, they say, well, yeah, it's there. It just doesn't say obey, but it says, you know, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church's body, Right? Well, what do you do? You obey the head, right? The head of the corporation is the one everybody obeys, is the one everybody listens to, right? And, and, and so we, Christ, the church must obey Christ, and a wife must therefore obey her husband. Because, again, he's the head. But look at this. Look at the rest of this verse. Husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is, interesting, the Savior. He uses a term of dying, of serving. Christ is the head of the church, meaning he died for her. He gave life to her. The focus is not, I would have expected it to say, of which he is the Lord, of which he is the master. But it doesn't say that. So whatever headship is, at least in Ephesians, and again, there are other passages to look at. I'm not giving a final answer. I'm just saying in Ephesians, I don't think he's focused on, again, an obedience kind of relationship there. the focus is not on Christ as master, it's on Christ as servant, as life giver, right, of which he is the savior. And and so there's this, why would we not, Jesus, Romans 8, right? Romans 8, Paul says, you know, if God didn't spare his own son, might be 12, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. If God did not spare his own son, how will he not also give up everything for us? How can we not just trust him? And, and, And I think it's much more of that. It's not trust, obey him, or or honor him, or whatever word we want to use there, because he's controlling as the head, but because he's dying for you, right? We, we trust Christ because he died for us. And, 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 and so what about obey? At this point, out of this text, what I'd rather go with is trust, and there are other ones that we can talk about it. But there's a submitting the, to, to, to trust, to say, you know what, I, I know you, and so I'm going to trust you in this. And, and, and so, again, let's, let's just kind of fill this out again and, 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 and put these things up here. For the, the serve, respect, and trust. It, it is such a relationship of, of mutuality, all right? Both, both, couples are, are, both parts of the couple are called to do that. I, I, oh, I, one thing to share, and then we'll wrap it up, but... Nick Waltersdorf, I heard him once say that this is how a Christian argument goes in a marriage. He says, we're going to do it your way. She says, "Uh uh-uh, honey, we're going to do it your way. 
And he says, no, we're going to do it your way. And she says, no, we're going to do it your way. And he says, I'm the head of this home. We are doing it your way. <laughs> There's something right about that, right? If I'm dying for my spouse, we're... <laughs> so, it's not about what I get. That's the fundamental difference, friends. Too many of us in our marriages are looking and saying, what am I getting out of it? Is the contract fair? It's not about what I get. It's about what I give. I must die for my wife, and she must die for me. Let's pray together. Father, you created this great thing called marriage, and we really struggle with it sometimes. We don't know how to put it together. So we just pray that you will just help us to learn how to be like Jesus in our marriages. As husbands teach us to die, as wives teach us to trust, to respect, to honor. Lord, teach us to serve each other. And then, Lord, let the world look at it and say, now that's something we've never seen before. And let us then be able to tell them all about you. Again, Father, we thank you for families, for the baptisms, and, and we just pray that our families can be places where we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction. Again, going to be some folks in the prayer room there. If you'd like to talk with somebody, pray with somebody, uh, it would be, uh, it'd be good to have you do that. So people of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we indeed learn to submit to one another. Go in God's grace. Amen.